0: Well hello and welcome to The Switzer Show. I'm Peter Switzer and as always, well not always, sometimes he he goes away, my colleague Paul Rickard joins me at the desk. Hello Paul.
1: Good thanks Peter. Look one of our guests today is going to be uh, I think talking about the cashless society. Mm. I don't know if you realise but... um, Banks are actually cutting out the number of ATMs they have. you uh, kidding? Yeah, they've actually um, quite cut down quite a few over the last couple of years. Right. And So if you look at the the stats been published by the Reserve Bank, there are fewer and fewer ATMs. So if you want cash, it's actually mm. getting a lot harder. And you uh, could be found I, out
0: in those desperate
1: moments. But it could be found out. And I think he's going to share some insights about some unusual behaviour. I know I, I'm a I'm a I'm a love cash, right? I go to the coffee coffee line. You, you pay and cash. I'm the only poor. I was going to say something starting with a B. I'm the only poor person who gets out my... $20 Twenty dollar note or fifty dollar note. Everyone else in front of me is using their their card, and yeah. it really annoys me, right? I, I, but I yeah. I,
0: well, the I, thing is, this Paul, <laughs> you're one of the few people in the world who actually has a lot of money. See, and you like the flash I like to show. Around. Right? Everybody <laughs> else is on credit cards, and they will never never. And you've actually got
1: the stuff. Yeah, you know. the good the good quality folding stuff, Peter. It's nothing, it's, it's very secure having a big folding, is, few is. folding notes. I tell you one
0: thing: we learnt when the big um, Telstra. Um, blackout was on Mm -hmm. last week not having a a pineapple as they call it inside your telephone uh, case Brought a lot of people undone. I, I was talking
1: nice. to someone on uh, Friday night who actually was in Woolworths at the time, and yeah. they actually went back to the old click clacks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to but the staff member didn't know how to use it. <laughs> well, the <laughs> one. Yeah. I yeah.
0: well, like you, it. was always difficult putting the thing in straight, wasn't it? And,
1: yeah, you, know, you had to line it up. You've got to make sure that the yeah. carbon and offset or print is exactly where the card is. And of course, if some of those cards, have you ever had a card where the number, you know, um, you get. Got worn down. Worn, worn so down. Didn't show up properly. Yeah. Look, our colleague here, our producer's got no idea what we're talking about, right? He's, yeah. he's looking at some horror. You know and saying, what? What, are, what? are these guys yeah. rabbiting on about? Yeah.
0: You know what? It seems to me that Woolies... It's nice that they had the risk management fallback position, but you know what they should have simply done? Got the, fa- the phone out and photographed. Yeah. Probably right. Photographed it. Yeah. That would have been a, a smarter yeah. idea. Well, maybe i should take over risk management at, at i think
1: there's a new a whole new career oh, yeah. Uh, and look you, you can keep this radio podcasting stuff as a side yeah, job diversified yeah,
0: alright <laughs> so we'll be talking to Peter Vorster Peter from um, Bankwest he's the Executive General uh, Manager of Customer Solutions Insights at Bankwest then we're going to talk to a guy called Paul Spinks now Paul is a paramedic you know, we used to call them AMBOs in the old days and I've been reading stories how a lot of AMBOs get belted up by drunks mm. on Saturday night it's becoming a very dangerous job and Peter's going, uh, Paul's going to talk to us about, A, um, mental health issues in the workplace and what we can do to actually help people get comfortable about talking about, but also uh, Paul's a a motivational speaker on the the business speaking
1: scene. So he's taken uh, his, what he's learnt at the coalface being a paramedic, had a few opportunities and grown that into a business in terms of working with a lot of big companies like Out the Peter in terms of what they need to be doing with their employees to make sure that uh, you know, they're well in inverted commas, yeah, I guess. Yeah, exactly so.
0: right. And it affects productivity as well as happiness. And I think both those terms are linked. Happy workforce, um, uh, productive workforce. And then finally, we talked to uh, on the subject of employees, a, a business called Employsure. Now, a lot of us, who, who, when we go into business for ourselves, are often doing it without any safety nets mm-hmm. whatsoever. You know, in the past, I've recommended people join up with the business associations, but people don't even think about that. Employee sure basically is like a commercial version of that, and they can help people when it comes to the tricky issues of hiring, firing, dealing with a troublesome employee, and dealing, I guess, with an employee with even with mental uh, issues as well. And
1: also, if you are in a contract, just making sure that you get uh, what you're entitled to. I think, uh, as we've known in the superannuation field, Peter, that, uh, look, we'd like to say all employers do the right things, but sometimes... Nope. There's don't. a minority that doesn't. And, yep. um, you know, we. I think uh, organisations like this can help uh, obviously work with employers to make sure that exactly they're looking right. their staff and staff are getting what they're entitled to. Well,
0: that's the show. So, without any further ado, let's welcome our first guest,
1: Peter Voister,
0: who's the Executive General Manager, Customer Solutions Insights at Bankwest. And we'll find out that we're becoming a little bit unusual, I think, with our digital spending. Peter, thanks for joining us.
2: Great being here.
0: So, Peter, uh, Bankwest has new data released, which shows that there's a unique trend in the spending habits of Australians.
2: That's right. We've uh, been doing some research, over a 1,000 people sitting on the East Coast to understand what people are spending money on and where their money comes from. It's given us some very interesting results.
0: Okay. So, why don't you um, work your way through it and Paul and I will react accordingly.
2: Okay. So. The research focused on three different areas over the last couple of months. The first one is who is spending money in which way? So it's the Gen Xs, the Gen Ys, and the baby boomers. Uh, We started seeing a massive trend away from cash to more digital means. People using it for more things like music, weather, banking services, all going digital. And that gave us a clear trend. Then we looked at the next trend to say, well, what are people actually doing and how does it socially impact them when they use digital apps? Because digital makes things more frictionless. So the more digital way you've got to pay, the easier it is for you to do business. The easier it is for you to pay people and receive money. And then the last bit of research that we did started showing a very interesting trend. And this trend was digital acceptance of payments is absolutely taking over the world. Cash is reducing significantly, except when it comes to people going out for social events like a drink at the pub or for a meal which cash over-indexed completely compared to any other means of payment.
1: Mm. And Peter, why do you uh, think that is?
2: Well, the research suggests that uh, in a social environment where people all get together for a fun time, when it gets to spinning the bill, it becomes a bit awkward to say, well, can I pay you via an app, or can I show you how the app works, or why don't you just ping me some money across to this particular app and then I will get the money and then I will pay on your behalf. It's Just much easier to put cash on the table and say, no issue, here's my cash done, set and forget.
0: Mm. There are those restaurants that don't like actually participating in bill splitting, isn't there?
2: There is. Uh, Obviously, there's a cost and complexity for the restaurant because it literally puts more friction into the transaction where any other transaction is tap and go, quick pin code, and you're out the restaurant. Now you have to say, well, who had what, and who should I give a bill for? And it becomes very cumbersome.
1: It's an interesting example, Peter, because most of the – when I see a lot of uh, promotion about sort of how you can pay and use apps to sort of get away, get away from using cash and do things you know, digitally, in many t- cases the application seems to be about how you can split a bill, but, mm. but what you're saying is socially people don't like doing that or at least maybe they're perhaps wary about giving away some of their personal data to their friends or acquaintances, is that what you think is, is part of it or is it just uh, just something that's just taking a long time to catch on?
2: Well, I think you hit on a couple of areas there. So definitely is cash dead everywhere else? I mean, gin wise say that cash is already dead. I don't need it. And you say, okay, well, that's interesting, except when you do buy a drink. Now, one of the hypotheses is which the research didn't explicitly call out to say that, well, if I pay with my card and I go have a drink with somebody, now there's a record of it somewhere Mm -hmm. else. Nothing of that has really come out for people saying, ah, yep, I definitely want to keep my data private so no one knows that I go for a punt at the pub every now and then. But what is interesting is that the process in which it takes to actually have a conversation around having to split the ball becomes sometimes a bit awkward. So socially acceptance to have that conversation is probably less than just saying, I just rip out cash, put cash on the table, and therefore no need to have the conversation in the first place.
0: Is there any uh, history of... Um, consumers uh, becoming um, suspicious of leaving their card behind you know on a behind a counter at a bar or seeing their card taken away by a hospitality staff member and then bringing the card back because I, I have actually had people say that I don't like losing sight of my card but often in restaurants that actually can happen
2: let me a very very good question so I'll give you some sense of um, research that um, I was involved before in the US and then research in South Africa and most of the fraud that you see happens on cards typically in the US is when the card is left aside and you can skim it just understand that the US is a very interesting place where you don't have all the security like you would have had in chip and fin in Australia for quite some time mm-hmm. so there's definitely a, anyone who comes from the US that's a practice that makes people generally nervous specifically research done in South Africa, you never leave your card. Somebody will bring a mobile device over to you and you'll pay at that point mm-hmm. for exactly the same reason. The moment your card disappears, you can actually skim it. And if you skim the card, particularly in areas where they only use the mag strip, it becomes extremely easy to commit fraud. But in the, the Australian context, two things are really, really um, unique. The one is that contactless payment has increased significantly where people would typically want to see the card and they can do it themselves. So very, very simple to do. So there is a good alternative from having to let your card leave you. But the second point also is true is because it's so easy to do contactless payment, barring that it's below $100 before PIN is required, it does prevent certain patrons to say, yes, I'm happy to let my card go. I'd rather walk with it. So the psyche behind how easy it is to pay and the friction that goes with it, or less of lack of friction, I should say, does make it more vulnerable for people to say, but hang on, this is so easy to pay you. I don't want to see my card leave, and that's definitely, definitely, definitely a a, a global trend where people don't want to see their cards leave anymore.
1: Peter, let's talk more. Let's um, think a bit more medium term. Um, is the days of a days of cash dead? I mean, do you think we're actually going to get to this so called cashless society?
2: So the research suggests that over a very long period of time, definitely, cash becomes less and less and less. Um, acceptable, it also becomes more and more difficult to get cash. And, and what I mean with that is ATMs have seen a 5% decline year on year in terms of what people would use and how they actually go to ATM to draw cash, notwithstanding if you're in any digital process to go into a branch or to go any other physical point of presence to get cash. You know, it does become less and less convenient to do so. But then there's still the baby boomers who would typically hold almost double the amount of cash in their wallet compared to the Gen Ys who would have half of that just in case they need cash and just in case they want to pay for, for for certain things. A different driver that we at Bankless have particularly seen and also really playing into our future strategy is to say, well, the moment I see more of your transactions and the moment you don't have cash, I can actually do things like spend tracking. I can help you set a budget. can do some analysis around your behaviors to say, you could save more if you did certain things differently. The moment you go to cash, you start losing some of those capabilities of some of the apps and tools for budgeting that's available. So there's two drivers to it. The one is obviously convenience is now rife in Australia. You don't there's very few places that I've come across that you need cash to pay where they don't accept anything else. In fact, in the last 12 months I counted there was only one instance where I needed to pay cash for particular for, for, for particular, particular service. But secondly is the more and more the digital applications and tools and goal setting tools and financial well-being tools that we developed the more data you pump into those, the easier it becomes for them to be relevant to you.
0: Uh, so what is West doing to frame their future digital strategies?
2: Well, I think the research was the key basis of understanding people's behaviors to, to really consider where do you build an enhancement to just the everyday banking solutions like goal setting. You know, we built the halo ring, uh, particularly so that people could pay easier if they're cyclists or you go to the beach, you don't want to carry your wallet around, you can now just tap your ring and you can pay. We also looked at certain um, of our customer research points that said helping me to be financially savvy is really important. I think the bank has got a lot of my data, Help me understand my behaviors better, add value to me that I don't have, or I can't work out myself as a consumer. And from that, we set up some goal setting and some spend tracking capabilities that's coming in the next couple of months to help a consumer understand the behaviors and say, hey, if I wanted to get to a different outcome, how does my spend behaviors need to change? Not like a big brother, really, but it's more focusing on what a customer would say. If you tell me something you didn't know about my behaviours that can benefit me, please, by all means, assist me to do so.
0: Peter, thanks for joining us on the programme. What have I told you that I could help give you peace of mind when it comes to investing in a volatile market? Well, I can and I will be at the Switzer Listed Investment Conference in Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane. It's coming up. And Paul Rickard, you'll be there as well. And we're going to do a masterclass we are. on going,
1: investment. We're going to do an, an investment masterclass. So in the morning, couple of sessions, Peter, we've got some fantastic uh, managers coming to tell us about uh, what they're doing in their products and what some of the opportunities are if you're looking to invest from, say, an income perspective or a growth perspective. And look, there are some really terrific um, products out there, but uh, mm-hmm. in the afternoon session, we're going to do a masterclass where you and I are going to demonstrate just
3: how brilliant we are, Peter. <laughs> well, let's <laughs> hope says. we can pull that one off, but certainly we are going you to You can share. demonstrate how
1: brilliant you are and I'll try to help you with well, Yeah, <laughs> well, the,
0: the bottom line is we are going to share the secrets of what we've learned over the years um, to invest wisely productively and safely I think they're the three areas that we, we care about
1: and right and, and look let's make no bones about it Peter we don't get every investment right and you and I know that but it's, investing is about getting the probability working for you yeah. and it's about uh, you're making sure that the investments match what you want in terms of their risk and growth profile mm-hmm. so oh. that uh, you're you're not having sleepless nights but if you wanted a bit of more risk taking you take it but it's about trying to Get the portfolio to work so it delivers for you, and, uh, mm. you, and that you know it's it's a it's it's not in this it, it it's more art than science. Mm. But that said, I think there's you know, you learn we keep learning, and we're going to share some of the insights that yeah. we've gained over many years. Exactly.
0: I, I guess I should ask this question, Paul: Is this a conversation or is it an ad?
1: Well, it's an, it is a, a bit conversation. of hope, Peter, It's a conversational but, but, ad. But we were encouraged to have a conversation <laughs> yeah. rather than to yeah, follow, good idea. follow yeah, the 27-word the, the, the script there. So. Now, uh,
0: <laughs> one thing my script doesn't tell me is when these, what month is it on? We can go to the
1: website, but what month is this on, Paul? It's on in August. It's in Sydney on Friday the 16th of August, Melbourne Tuesday the 20th of August, and Wednesday the 21st in Brisbane.
0: You know, got and that if that someone right. goes yeah. to au. they'll see um, about all, all the details or locations and whatever. And also, it's a $49 investment in success. That's, that's far too cheap, $49, isn't it? Really?
1: That's a, that's a compassionate price. Well, I'm, I'm looking at you and sort of nodding, but yeah. uh, um, it is. look. I, I, I guess that uh, look, we'll, we'll get that feedback at the end. But I think, as we've seen with these conferences, um, we get such terrific feedback, and we know that um, yeah. that there's a, there's a, there's a lot to be gained. It works both ways here, but not just learning from us, learning from some of uh, yeah. other people in the industry, and also some of the or, uh, also fellow investors. So yeah. it's it's a great day if, for that if you want to
0: be a success in business or wealth or sport, hang out with the best. Let's go to our next guest, Paul Spinks, Ambo motivational speaker, and someone who cares about um, health in the workplace. Paul, welcome to the show. G'day,
3: Peter. Thanks for having me on.
0: Okay, so before we start you know, getting to the nuts and bolts of what uh, you, you, know, you think is really important about our, our health, you're a paramedic and you're a motivational speaker. How did that happen? Yep. Most paramedics yep. are working hard in the ambulances. I never become star motivational speakers. How did you make that progress?
3: Uh, well, mate, look, I've been in the business for about uh, 16 years as a paramedic and in uh, about 20 years I've been working as a trauma counsellor. Um, my eyes have seen and learned plenty and uh, crawling into many lounge rooms at 2 o'clock in the morning to somebody uh, in crisis. And, uh, and having to, having to attend it. And I guess, um, uh, the majority of my work, I would say, even though I've got a wonderful toolkit to, to help people, but most of it has been like a, a crisis counsellor on wheels, just, just trying to put out the fires in, in people's lives. And, and I guess, um, I started to package all that up and I was, people were asking me questions about, um, about having a better life or their illness or their medications they're on or their mental health. And, and then someone said to me one day, well, you should be, you know, maybe you should be chatting to people about this. And anyway, I got invited to a, a voluntary group and I, and I spoke to about a hundred people and uh, they liked what they heard. And, and uh, yeah, about seven years ago, that started and it grew and it grew and it grew. And then corporate Australia started uh, contacting me and, um, so I've been doing multinational companies ever since. Uh, spreading the word of how do we, um, you know, micromanage ourselves? Are we micromanaging ourselves well, or are we micromanaging ourselves sick? And I think corporate Australia. Uh, really responded uh to that message and they still are
0: yeah i know tom o'toole um started his life and of course he's the famous Beechworth baker baker he started yeah. his life helping out people on lifeline and uh people realized what a wacko he was and how interesting <laughs> a wacko he was uh yeah. and uh, he was actually helped by lifeline himself because he nearly committed suicide after his wife shot through and uh yeah, I think there's a big, a big demand for people like uh, yourself and Tom who've seen you know life from both sides, and uh, it's a, a really important um, development. I think to have people like you uh, talking to to normal people, Paul.
3: I think I, I think when you, um, especially uh, in paramedic world, and I still work as a paramedic now, but part time. But I, I guess when you see the bottom line, which is. Um, you know when the when the backside falls out of life completely, and and you find yourself uh, in a bad mental way. We we have a country that saw sixty five thousand attempts on suicide last year. Uh, we've got one in two of us approaching uh, depression. Um, we had fifty million prescriptions handed out for antidepressants. This is Australia. This is this is the lucky country. So. I guess, um, yeah, I think there, from a paramedics' point of view, when you see that carnage, I, I think as a, I've got a responsibility not only as a father but a friend and to my colleagues to say, "Hey, you know, we we, we better stop this rot. You know, maybe we better draw some attention to this beast and and uh, look at strategies and ways to do something about it."
1: So we talk about uh, the cracks being uh, formed, Paul, and also. Uh, know mental health in the workplace what are the sort of key messages you have for i guess first of all employee employers and then secondly employees
3: um yeah look i guess uh that you know as far as as far as cracks are concerned i, I mean i think we have to we have to learn to come off remote control we we've you know, we've got to be more vigilant to our our, our mental health and and, and our wellbeing. So and, and you know, I guess the first thing is we always have to look after number one first. We're going to take total responsibility uh, for ourselves. So we are we are key here. But but um, but also we spend a third of our life at work. So we have to, from from our employees to employers to to the managers. Um, you know, I think we've all got a, a, a big part to play. In the area of mental health, and I guess as far as the cracks are concerned, I, I always say to people, just just watch out for the little fires that start. You know, like little cracks become big cracks. Maybe you've just started to get a little bit a little bit angry. Maybe you're not sleeping very well. Maybe you've, you know you've got issues at home with the kids or the wife, or you've you've got drama with your boss at work. Um, but we but we just keep on going and going and jumping over these hurdles and moving on and thinking that I'm okay. When, when we're not okay and, and um, we've got these amazing little neurotransmitters in our head called serotonin and dopamine and we start throwing up all the good chemicals and uh, and then, you know, six or seven years pass and, and we've, we've developed ourselves into an acute mental illness, you know, seven or ten years getting into it and now it's going to be about ten years of getting out of it. So, so I think um, workplaces, um, again, because we spend so much time at work, you know, that they have to be managing this space uh, really well. We had $11 billion uh, spent on, um, on mental health claims uh, in, in the last year. Um, and every dollar we we spend identifying, supporting, and case managing workers with mental health issues yields a five hundred percent return for improved work output. So I think I think there's really big messages there to the workplace to say, okay, uh, what can we do? Let's identify the cracks, uh, and that's getting early. And, and one of those big things is. Um, You know, we all big multinationals or most corporates have employee system programs. So we have our onboard counsellors that that people can access. But they're used really poorly and they're taken up really poorly because we still have this stigma of, of getting help. So I think workplaces can be a lot more proactive in that area. They can be a lot more proactive with education. Managers. Uh, need to lead by example if, if if the managers aren't sort of putting their hand up to say oh I saw the counsellor this week or I'm getting help with my mental health or, or self-disclosing then how do you expect your workforce to respond you know like um, so, is it, so is it about but, sort of yeah.
1: calling out for help I mean or do we have to as uh, you know sort of take time out or I mean is it, what, what are obviously what, what are the, the, the yeah, how do you change
3: this attitude yeah. How do you change his yeah. mental health in the
0: workplace? Well, yeah, well, and well, also, if, I think there's two aspects to it. How do you change the fact that a lot of blokes in particular won't fess up that there's something wrong? And secondly, what do bosses have to do to get people feeling comfortable about saying, hey, I know I'm a great employee, but at the moment my my wife and I are having terrible problems. And I'm, I'm bringing, bringing this to work and I'm... Drinking a lot more at night because I'm trying to self-medicate. How do you get that yeah. openness of conversation happening? Because at the moment, I think most people bury these sort of conversations.
3: Yeah, well, I've got a couple of sort of live examples on that. Um, uh, you know, like I did some, I did some work with BHP several years ago. And, um, and I was, I was brought into one of their, what they call their safe start meetings where they all get together and talk about the day and safety and, and have a bit of a chat about how the day is going to unfold. And, and I came in and I spoke about, I spoke about wellness and, and their lives and their families and connecting and how we keep ourselves mentally well. And, and I guess, um, the takeaway point from that is, uh, in this case, the BHP was, you know, we've got our we've got our safe start meetings, and all we talk about is stats and figures and accidents and things like that. But but can we have a different conversation? Can we can we start the day differently? Can the can the executive or the, the supervisor that's um, that, that's opening the day can they can they sit there and just say, hey guys, before we start today, can we just take a few breaths and just breathe? Um, can, you know, had it anybody got any stories about how we connected with our families? So I think we've got to humanise. Um, ourselves more, I guess, is one of the, the key strategies here. The managers have to self-disclose. If you if you're not prepared to talk about yourself and your own vulnerabilities, how do you expect your workforce uh, to to open up and, and talk about it? So, and, and the other tremendous example I have is I've got a mate who's an um, an airline pilot here in this country. He's a captain, and he's also a he's also a yoga part-time yoga teacher. And of course, um, pilots do their their fairly Stereotype uh, you know, uh, pre flight briefing to all their crew before they get flying. What's the weather? What's the emergencies? What are we going to do? And, you know, they've heard that story a thousand times over. But Cameron gets all his crew together and he does his pre flight brief and he, and he talks about, he God, I just want you to breathe. And then he talks about that, like I'm talking about BHP, talks about connection, anybody getting stories to share. and and as a result, everybody started wanting to fly with Cameron, and uh, and the, the airline business is sitting there saying, "Well, hang on, maybe there's a message uh, in what Cameron does here." So I just think we've got to get better. Uh, we've lost the outer connection, uh, Peter. You know, I just think we've got to get we've got to get better, and we've got to come back to our our, our grassroots here.
1: I like the idea of this self-disclosure, but you also mentioned um, we've got to humanise a little bit, which I guess means. Uh just uh, take some time and talk about us as people. I mean, are there any sort of, uh, you know, easy ways or, or tips that you can recommend that, uh, you know, managers should employ there?
0: And, and by the way, Paul, this is coming from a, a Paul Rickard who really does need to humanise and and break down the barriers of his highly successful approach to <laughs> you know, analysing numbers and stuff like that. So we're, we're both interested in your answer here.
3: Yeah. Well, look, I, I, again, I just kind of like using actual examples, but um, the self-disclosure as a trauma counsellor, in my private practice, I know if I want to get people to connect and trust and listen and follow me, all of, all of I have to do is self-disclose. Um, I just got to talk about my, and we've all got traumas in our lives, let's face it, so I can... I can talk about stuff and the moment I do that, I, I humanise myself and I invite people to come in. So I can use another example, I did a job with Stanwell Energy uh, here in Queensland and um, and uh, I, before I got let loose on two and a half thousand employees to have a chat to them, I had to deliver it to the to the executive board and the CEO sat in my 12 o'clock position and after I finished, he put his head in his hands and I thought, I've got to totally bug this up. And uh, he came up to me, he said, "Mate," he said, "You got me thinking about my life, my wife, my family, my, you know, this and that." And and then I went out into the field to to, to Kingaroy Power Station, wherever I ended up, and um, and the CEO was on site. And he said, "Mate, be short, before you talk to my people, he said, I just like to talk to them." Now this is a man who's a statistician, talks about figures and sort of you know, uh, you know, does all the hard uh, business. Chat yeah. and um, and he sat in front of two hundred people and he and he just suddenly talked about he didn't talk about any facts or figures he talked about the need to look after ourselves, he talked about his family he talked about an alcoholic uh, brother he talked about his vulnerabilities and you could have heard a pin drop on mm-hmm. the floor and I think. I think right there and then he we, we and he just turned and said thanks mate off you go. But I think right there and then we we started to change the culture of you know maybe how we could go about business and do business differently. If you if you get if you get a couple of hundred managers or if you get a hundred managers, well, sorry, you, I'm talking about staff too. But let's say you get 20, 30 managers in a room and you talk about um, you know guys, anybody anybody seen a counsellor or psychologist in the last? uh month or, or seen their onboard counselor, nobody will put their hand up. Mm. So the next question is, well, has anybody seen a, a counselor but too afraid to tell me? But it, and everyone laughs because the answer is probably yes. And I said, it doesn't this and lie the problem that you are the managers, you are the leaders, you know? We can lecture to the cows come home about how to do things at work and be right, but at the end of the day the people are just watching us so so humanisation, to me, um, is, is the power tool. And I like, I've got to be a couple of hours' conversations to talk about hows and whys and strategies, but um, I guess we've just got to use our human instincts here and say, well, yeah, how do, I, how do I start to reconnect? How do I gain the trust of people? And, of course, paramedics do this all day long. We've got someone in the back with us for for an hour or two hours at, at their house, and, and I, I have to gain their, their trust uh, in me and and my power tool is humanization yeah. and, and if it can work for me it can work in the workplace.
0: All right, Paul. Um, there is a website. Is it the wake dot me?
3: Uh yeah, thewakeupcall.me dot me is to my website. There's yeah. a whole um of information and some radio interviews and podcasts and yep. thoughts and thinking. So yeah, that's, that's where you'll find me. Is, there, is
0: there any truth in the rumour that Premier Palaszczuk has got you uh, psyching up the whole state after losing the state of origin last week? <laughs> yes,
3: yes. Well, you're, you're in ban- uh,
0: <laughs> after winning for so long, mate, You must, the whole state must be in shock. <laughs> well, there's
3: that wonderful humanization thing coming, isn't it? You know, just let it
0: go. <laughs> Paul Spinks, thanks for joining us on the Switzer program. No worries. Thanks, Peter. Thanks, Paul. That's Paul Spinks, a paramedic and a motivational speaker. Now, before we introduce our next guest, Paul, we have a, a question from a um, listener, and it comes from JB from Nowra, He's asked a few questions. He's a very motivated motivated male, female, because it's just JB. I don't know if it's Joan Brown or John Brown. Um, But he wants to know or she wants to know, is AMP a bye or should we basically wave bye-bye to AMP?
1: Look, it's too early to wave bye-bye to AMP. I think if you haven't caught up with the news, Peter, today AMP... said they weren't going to pay an interim dividend. I don't think that's hugely surprising, but they've also, their sale of their life insurance business has been called off. Essentially, the New Zealand regulators playing hardball and saying to the AMP and p that uh, if you want to sell this business to somebody else, we want to make sure that you opt, make sure there's uh, enough New Zealand assets offsetting New Zealand liability, so they don't like the idea of it being part of some sale of an Australasian business and the New Zealand government or the regulator not being able to at least control the new buyers in terms of uh, how it's managed. So uh, look, A&P's a lot of problems, Peter. I mean, uh, I have not bought A&P shares. I've been worried of A&P, not because of this particular reason, but just I think the outflows in terms of their business are going to continue for some time. And uh, these things, uh, you know, we know that corporations and, and investors react slowly so i think it's far too early to buy amp shares whether now at around about a dollar 80 there's a bit of value there question mark i mean there's got to be a breakup for you because remember amp amp is not going to go down right mm. i i think that it's just too big a part of the australian financial landscape remember amp owns a very profitable bank amp bank that's got to mm. be worth you know, some hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah. It's also got a wealth, ma- a investment management business. So AMP's got a lot of good funds AMP infrastructure, AMP bond fund. Yeah. That comes under AMP capital. Yeah. It reminds me a bit of Macquarie when Macquarie was. Um, GFC. Uh, in the GFC. Mm. And people was talking speculating about Macquarie, and a lot of sort of very sage people said, look, the breakup value is X, mm. and once it gets below breakup value, this is when Macquarie got down to trading about $16. Today it's trading at $124, $125. And well
0: may they keep on doing And they've paid doing a huge that.
1: dividends since then. I mean, yep. so there has got to be a breakup value for AMP, and I think um, it must be getting close. So... I, I think I uh, I'm almost almost sort of in the space of talking to you, Peter. Thinking it's almost time to have a look at, but it's going it, to. It's a speculation. It's no right? longer the, the safe dividend play yeah. it used to be. And and if you have investments with AMP, I don't think you're anything to worry about. But no. uh, I think it's still it's it's an under pressure company, Peter. Yeah. And uh, as we know, bad news tends to sort of feed
0: on itself a little bit. But Paul. When they did this insurance deal, a lot of people said, oh, this is a bad deal, and the share price went down. That's right. It didn't go up. So you you kind of think, well, shouldn't there be a bit of a revision? If they're not going to sell it and they're stuck with it, maybe it could be good for the
1: company. Look, it could be good in the long term. I guess it just – I mean, they put a strategy together which depends on selling this, and now they've had their strategy sort of – you know what's the word? Not knife, but it's like someone's – torn up the whole strategy and said, start again. And uh, I guess that's what's making it rather hard for it. But uh, look, there might be some value there, but it is high risk. So for a risk taker, yeah, maybe. If you're not a risk taker, forget it, right?
0: And i tell you what, AMP for me has always been a share that has proved the reason why I like having 20 stocks in my portfolio. Remember when they floated and they went to, what, 30 yep. dollars and yep. they ended down $4-something like that? Well, if you had a big exposure to them, your, your whole investment strategy could be cruel. But if you had 20 other stocks, that would have, wouldn't have hurt you, it wouldn't have been your, good for your returns, but you wouldn't have been damaged like if you have a big exposure to any one stock. So, got to be very, very careful, it's a very powerful lesson, and you're probably right, Paul, A&P will make a rebound, but it might take two or three years.
1: Yeah, you'd have to uh, heart and mouth stuff, I think, but okay. uh, for the risk takers only.
0: Okay. Our next guest is Tanya Caddick from Employment Relations Advisor, EmploySure. And there's some very interesting stories around the fact that a lot of small businesses need help when it comes to the very tricky area of employing. So Tanya, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Okay. So I think a lot of people would like to know what EmploySure actually does.
4: Yeah, for sure. So EmployShore provides employment relations support to over 25,000 small and medium sized uh, businesses across Australia and New Zealand. Mm. Um, so we're a 24 hour support service with advisors and consultants across the country. Um, and we also now have EmployShore Law, which is our legal team that can assist when a claim has been made.
1: Now, you help employers and presumably uh, I guess they're workers with things like contracts, and uh, increasingly we are seeing, I think more and more people on uh, you know working on a casual basis and on a contractual basis. What are some of the yeah. common mistakes made with employment contracts?
4: Well, um look, a lot of the time the contracts don't actually reflect the 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 particular arrangement that it's intended to. Um, a lot of the time, they contract out of legislative requirements as well, um, undercutting national employment standards. So this is one thing that we do need to be careful of. Mm-hmm. Um, and things also like contracting out of workers' compensation um, uh, claims and anything legislative in that area. So, um, in terms of, I guess you know, uh, contracting for certain periods of time, like you said, um, you know, casual contracts and things. Um, Whilst it may be well and good to provide a casual contract, if it's actually not reflective of the arrangement, um, then it's no good to you. Yeah. Now,
0: Tanya, obviously, anyone who's in business knows one of the hardest things you can do is to be an employer. And I figure what you, in a sense, become is like a, 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 a big buddy helping them yeah. in that thorny area of employing someone. So what areas of advice do you cover off? Uh, and then also, what are the common mistakes that you often you know, help people
4: overcome? Yeah, for sure. Um, so look, we assist um, and you know, all the advisors on the advice line will assist with disciplinary performance management processes. Um, and we go step by step with our clients to ensure that you know, we make it as easy as possible for them as well, um, to follow, you know, the fair and proper processes so that we do avoid claims, um, such as unfair dismissal. Um, and we are, like you said, we're basically there, um, almost as a, as a buddy, just, you know, running ideas by us. We give you the options, um, and the, you know, our clients will make the final call on which way they want to go, but it's all above board and, you know, it's, as long as you follow our advice, um. Or you know, then the options that we've given, you can, our clients can feel comfortable that they're doing the right thing as so, well.
1: So, what are the things uh, people have to do? You know, in terms of uh, if an employer wants to get rid of a, uh, you move one of their workers on, what are they? What are the sort of steps that they need to take? And also, if you're an employee, what do you need to make sure your boss is done? If if uh, you're in that situation.
4: Yeah. So. Um, look, terminating an employee is not always um, a, an easy road um, for any clients or any small to medium-sized businesses, um, especially because it might be, you know, even family-run. Um, you know, you get to know your employees quite well, but essentially, there are a couple of boxes that need to be ticked, and um, the first thing being, you know, have you even been consulted with um, as an employee? You know what the issues are that your employer is saying um, have you know um, come up, and, and so, so when you mean consultant, does
1: that mean like giving someone a, a warning, or is that what you?
4: Um, yeah, so I, I mean more so being given an opportunity to respond.
0: Right. Okay. So
4: before even before that written warning has been given, um, because that written warning, if it's been given without um, the employee's knowledge of what's coming. Um, mm-hmm you know, this this might be considered as jumping a step um, and not be in line with what would be considered fair and reasonable.
0: Okay. So I guess, you know, people employ people and they're really comfortable with their employees and they probably don't ever think about looking at their contracts again. So how often should someone review an employee's contract? Um,
4: Look, Really, there's no magic number. But essentially you know when you get the opportunity to review um, you know or do performance appraisals that's you know that's the best time to even look relook um, over these contracts to make sure that they're reflective of um, the type of arrangement and the positions held um, you know the new financial year would be a, a you know a tick box for some of our clients use that opportunity to go through the contracts um, that they have. It could be though that there are there are set timeframes on the contracts as well, so things that are fixed term, and you need to revise exactly what you want to be doing moving forward before those fixed terms come to an end as well. So they're um, you know they're a natural, I guess, um, checkbox for our clients. So Tanya,
0: I've often said that verbal contracts aren't worth the hot air they're written on. Um, or yeah. not, re- or not written on. But did, can, can verbal contracts be, you know, you know, useful and legal and
4: actionable? Certainly, they can be, but they are notoriously difficult to um, to enforce um, and to argue over. Really, um, it's just not worth it. In this day and age, we should have written agreements, even if it is just a casual type of engagement. Um, just the contract makes it every, you know, makes everything clear, makes the intentions very clear. Um, but also, even when we're considering, um, and this comes up, up a lot with our clients, um, considering how we want to pay someone, if we're pay, paying at a flat rate, but you know, this wasn't part of the agreement; they weren't aware. Potentially, um, they were under the impression it was going to be something different. We need to really, you know, revisit that and say exactly. What what it is that we're intending to cover in this flat rate, um, because offsetting is not going to be something that is is spoken about more often than not. So, um, and offsetting, I mean, in terms of you know overpayments and underpayments um, throughout the course of employment. So,
1: Tanya, just to uh, conclude, uh, what are some of the ways that people can learn from uh, uh, EmployShore? What do you uh, how can you help uh, various um, small businesses out there?
4: Yes, yeah, so we, we absolutely have our newsletters. Um, we've got a Better Business podcast, um, e-guides that are downloadable to help get businesses um, on the right track and to know exactly where to look um, for their obligations with their employees.
0: And, and what is the website, um, Tanya? au. That's easy. Tanya, thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you so much. Well, that's the show for today. Thanks for joining us, Paul. What did you learn today that makes you a better person for listening and participating well, in the I, show?
1: I think, as you reminded me a bit earlier, Peter, uh, being a bit more humanistic—if uh, that, that's the right word—yes, uh, I'll run that. with that. Yeah, I'll run with that. And uh, of course, uh, employers, you know, check out those contracts and uh, don't be afraid to get some help because. Being in small business and employing staff—it's hard work. We we know that, Peter. Yeah. And uh, sometimes you need to get the right advice from the right people. Yeah, precisely. Well, that's what our show is about: trying to find the right people
0: with the right advice. That's your show. Thanks for joining us. Put in time. Put in time. <laughs>